Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where this morning, yeah, we broke a little news. I promised you we would, and we did indeed. There are new emails that we have extracted and authenticated from the Hunter Biden laptop, and they paint a very poignant picture. What do they show? I'm going to tell you in a second. But first, I'm telling you who's coming on the show because we've got not one, but two amazing guests and uh, i want to get you queued up so you know what's coming down the pike joining us first today will be tyson langhofer he is the senior counsel for the alliance defending freedom and the lawyer who represented the loudon county school teacher uh, you probably remember this case has been in the headlines a lot tanner cross he went to a school board meeting he spoke out against a transgender pronoun policy that the school was board was considering by the way People were invited to give their opinion. He's entitled to his free speech. And he came back, and a couple days later, he was suspended and on the path to being fired for speaking his mind, not in an offensive way, but just speaking his mind in any way at the school board meeting. Well, guess what? Tyson Langhofer has defended him. And this week, they won an injunction from a judge saying the school board cannot fire Tanner Cross that he had a free speech right, that he's likely to prevail in the long-term lawsuit he has against the school district, and Tanner Cross was restored to his job. The lawyer who made that possible, Tyson Langhofer, going to be here in a second. And then, because we're just a special day today, we got two great guests. We have Congressman Blaine Lukenmeyer from the great state of Missouri joining us. He is the top Republican on the small business committee so he's on the key economic policy committee one of the key economic policy committees in america the one that deals with main street america small business america and he has been a voice for a long time warning of the moment we today find ourselves in yes today the government reported that inflation grew at an annual rate of five percent in may we haven't seen something like that in a decade or more might have to go back to 1992 to really be that far out there well this is exactly the warnings that Congressman Luca Meyer was making over the last few years, warning about fiscal policy, particularly since the Biden administration got in and when the Biden administration was talking about its policies during the campaign against uh, President Trump, the Congressman was warning we would find ourselves in the moment we find ourselves in. We're so lucky to have him here. He's gonna untangle it all, make sense of the economic uh, reports and explain 
the path out if we want to avoid a more financial calamity. They're in a very delicate moment in the American economy. There are big pressures, inflationary pressures, China, um, uh, in, uh, prices, gases, energy. Uh, we're talking about energy shortages in California, shortages of workers because of the path that the Democrats have taken on the COVID relief this year. Guess what? It is time to put all that into a box, get it made sense of, and Congressman Luca Meyer is the guy to do that. We're going to have him here in a few seconds. All right, now to the scoop. This morning, if you came on the site or if you go there right now at justthenews.com, you will see a story from myself in which we put together a, a dozen or two very important emails on the Hunter Biden laptop that we now know the FBI has. These are uh, emails that are in the possession of the FBI. And what do they show? They show that in a very turbulent moment in world history, in February of 2014, as the world was aflame in conflict, strife, worry. Uh, and let's put people back there. Let's go back seven years to February of 2014, seven and a half years, really. We came and we said, and we talked about Russia invading Ukraine. We had a wave of terrorist bombings in Iraq that killed over 100 innocent civilians. And we had a civil war spiraling out of control in Syria with the terrorist group ISIS. We now talk about them in the past tense because they were pushed down so much by the Trump administration's military efforts. But the world was dealing with those three simultaneous crises, the Russian invasion of Crimea being really important to all of Europe. There was a lot of worry. You have to put yourself back and remember what that shock moment was like. Well, as that is going on, Hunter Biden and his business associates at Rosemont Seneca are embarking on a strategy, which is, hey, Hunter's dad, the vice president, is the policy chief for a lot of these things, particularly Ukraine, China, uh, Middle East. And they set out to figure out how they could make money off of world leaders and world contacts that Hunter Biden had because he was a member of the Biden family. So one of the first things they talk about, we're going to go build a plan to go after the sovereign wealth funds of our major American allies, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, uh, R Russia, maybe not an ally, but certainly a, a sovereign wealth fund that they were targeting, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, uh, they had a plan to go get those sovereign wealth funds who, by the way, their owners, the world governments, probably needed a good relationship with Joe Biden. It's awkward when Joe Biden's son's companies come a knocking for money when you're relying on the vice president to solve the crises that are affecting your countries. But that was just one of the plans. Hunter Biden goes out, reaches out to, he attends a state dinner for the French president. And immediately afterward, he meets an ambassador, one of the newer ambassadors coming to America from France to the United Nations. And he immediately reaches out after they meet at a dinner and he asks for help on a business deal there. He calls the ambassador to the United Arab Emirates and asks for help on a deal there. He later calls the president of one of the regions of Italy and asks for help on a business deal there. World leaders, ambassadors, sovereign wealth funds. Hunter Biden was targeting the very foreign allies and foreign businesses that were reliant on his father to navigate that difficult moment in world history. And he wasn't thinking about solving the national security crisis. He was thinking, how can I get rich? How can I enrich my clients? How can I close some deals? 
You don't have to take my word for this. You can read the emails yourself. We've posted them all on justthenews.com. You go to the dig in tab on my story today and you will see exactly how calculating, how foreign oriented, how relentless this pursuit for foreign dollars by Hunter Biden and his colleagues was laid bare in their own words, not my words. You can read their words. Important journalism, I hope. All right, let's go to that quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, we got a two for today. First up, the attorney, Tyson Langhofer, representing that Loudoun County, Virginia school teacher in that epic free speech case that played out over the last few days. And then right after that, coming up, Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer of the great state of Missouri, the top Republican on the Small Business Committee. We're going to talk about the economy, inflation, Main Street America, businesses being unable to fill jobs because of these subsidies that the Biden administration have been giving to keep people to stay home, pay them to stay home, essentially. All of that right after the commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a lawyer that was involved in one of the most important court rulings of the last several weeks. Joining us right now is Tyson Langhofer. He is uh, the senior legal counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom, and he represented uh, the Loudoun County school teacher here in Virginia, who was about to lose their job for uh, testifying at a school board meeting about what he thought about transgender policies in the school system. An epic free speech case. Tyson, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. Uh, people, I live in Virginia, and so all everyone in Virginia has been talking about this case, but this is really a much bigger case. The, the, uh, the teacher, uh, Tanner Cross, goes to a school board meeting where you should have the right to speak your mind and have free speech. Uh, he was there in his personal capacity, and all of a sudden, he learns he's suspended and about to be fired. Tell us how important the judge's ruling was putting that termination on hold. Well, it's it's really important um, because it's it's reaffirming something that has been true since the beginning of our republic. That is that the government cannot punish someone simply for sharing their views, um, and because others disagree with those views. That that principle itself is non-controversial and has been established for a very long time. But in today's day and age, in this cancel culture, uh, people are calling for the cancellation of people like Tanner who just want to engage in this ongoing debate on really important topics. I mean, there's a debate right now going on throughout America about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And Loudoun County Public Schools was trying to shut that debate down and send a signal to all teachers across all of Virginia and throughout Loudoun County that if you speak out and you give the wrong opinion on this, you could lose your job. And that's that's the wrong message that, that school boards should be sending. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, that was the greatest and first freedom that the uh, founding fathers gave us was the First Amendment of freedom of speech. And, and 
in every venue we look today, it seems like free speech is under assault. Now, one of the things that I, when I looked at the ruling, this was a temporary injunction to prevent the teacher from losing his job, having Tanner be fired. But uh, uh, getting such an extraordinary ruling requires a high probability that you're going to probably win on the merits of the case. The judge seemed to signal that that was where he was leaning, that what he saw in this case concerned him about the infringement of free speech. Did I read the ruling the right way? No, you absolutely did. This is, it's a very, um, un, it, it is an unusual remedy to obtain an injunction before the end of a lawsuit. Um, but so what the court had to find was that we were, there was a substantial likelihood we would prevail at the end. And the reason this was so extraordinary, John, and the reason the court granted this remedy is because Tanner spoke at a public meeting on a proposed policy in his private capacity. He went to work the next day, no problems at all called into HR the next morning and told he was being placed on administrative leave because five, the, student, the parents of five students had said, I disagree with Tanner. Wow. That's the evidence they had. Mm. That's, that is clear viewpoint discrimination, and that should shen, send shivers through the spines of every teacher because every teacher I know has parents that, they, that disagree with them on some, you know, either viewpoint or some methodology or whatever. And if it, all it takes is five parents to object to a teacher and say they shouldn't be in the classroom, we wouldn't have public schools. Yeah, no, you can find, so, you can find dissent on anything and you could cancel all it, teachers. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this, so whether you agree with Tanner's viewpoints or not, it doesn't really matter. Every teacher should be cheering for this decision. Yeah, that's such a great point. This is so much bigger than the transgender pronoun issue that was really at the heart of that, that, that uh, school board hearing. Uh, what has life been like for your client, Tanner Cross, since this began? I mean, it must be comfortable to be ostracized, uh, thinking you're going to lose your livelihood simply because you went and exercised your free speech. What has life been like for him? Well, it's been it's been very difficult uh, prior to the reinstatement. I mean, this is a, a man who who's been an educator for 15 years and been in Loudoun County Schools for eight years. He, he has exemplary reviews. His kids love him. His uh, this he loves being a teacher. That's what he does. It's how he, uh, you know, um, chose to spend his life. And so to to say to be told that he couldn't go to work because he participated in our political process by by speaking at a public meeting that uh, against a policy that he thought would be harmful to to teachers and students was really hard. Um, but he had a lot of people rally around him and, and tell him they supported him. So that was helpful. And, but, but, you know, returning to work yesterday, uh, I just, I saw a smile on his face that, uh, you know, that really, uh, made it all worth it for, for me. Yeah, that's uh, pretty, uh, pretty extraordinary to be, have that moment of vindication. And listen, he just wants to get back and teach kids. I assume that's what he's been doing for his life. And it has to be difficult to have that ability taken away for something that should have been protected. Where does this case go next? Well, um, you know, there's still uh, obviously a, a, a determination on the merits still has to be made. And so there will be a trial uh, it, unless there is some resolution, you know, like a settlement with the, the, the school district, um, then, then we'd have to go to trial on the merits. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to tell uh, what exactly is going to happen. What, what we hope happens is that Loudoun County um, Public Schools recognizes uh, the First Amendment rights of their teachers and incorporates in any policy they adopt the right 
for teachers not to be forced to speak things that they believe are untrue. And there are accommodations that can be made. We're a pluralistic society. There's a great variety of beliefs in public schools, and teachers of all different beliefs should be able to, to ex, you know, to be able to be a public school teacher and live, you know, in peace with with the other teachers and students. And so, what that's what we hope is that they that they, you know, recognize this was a violation and that they're going to incorporate some. Um, accommodations and their policies. Yeah, that seems to be the best outcome because uh, the judge has already signaled what he probably thinks about the way this case was handled, and um, and I think that that's uh, that's got to be a clue to them to get get there and do the right thing and get this silliness beyond them. Now, as part of your role at uh, the Alliance for Defending Freedom, you you've been the director of the Center for Academic Freedom, and I I had a moment the other day, Tyson, that just floored me. I was on this podcast with a world leader an ambassador from Israel, and he, he said something profound, which is, I love America, but why is it, John? Could you explain to me why it is your universities are turning out an entire generation of students who hate America or want to silence anyone that wants to celebrate the American experience? And I, I don't have a good answer for that. I said, hey, listen, what do you think? But you've been at the center of some of these battles. I remember when you uh, represented Ben Shapiro and uh, the Young America's Foundation when they tried to cancel and did cancel his speech at California State University. You've been in this for a while, and I think you understand what was going on better than anyone in these academic Petri dishes. What what, what happened? Campuses used to be the home of free speech and the ability to have a debate, and now it seems like uh, free speech is is the rarity, not the normal on campuses. What what, what turned on American campuses? You know, uh, it, it appears to me, based on everything that I've seen, that, that at the heart of every one of the, um, the uh, speech-suppressing ideologies is this critical theory. And critical theory is, it basically says that there is no ability for, uh, to, <clears throat> for individual, different individuals to live at peace with each other. It's all about a power struggle between different groups. And so what, when, you, when that's your worldview, um, anybody else that tries to exercise a right that you disagree with and you don't want, your goal is to shut them down and to have power over them. And you know, they're being told that free speech is just the tool of the oppressors. They're being fed a lie, and they're, they're, being, they're, they're not being told history, which shows that every totalitarian state always had suppressive speech regulations, and that speech has always been in favor of the minority. There, there, it always favors the minority. So it, it's just a lie. And so at the heart of these lies is this power struggle that critical theory is, is um, you know, uh, indoctrinating public university students with, and they're, and they're um, buying into it because they're leaders. They're, the people that are supposed to be guiding them are telling them um, that, that America, that America's ideals, uh, the ideals of liberty and, and being equal under the law are just fallacies. It's an unbelievable moment in American history that we could even be having this conversation because it's not the DNA of this great country. This country was built on liberty and it has thrived on liberty. And there is a moment where a small but very vocal uh, subset of our society and educators, uh, political activists who think that squelching freedom is the key to the future of America. A lot of people think or make the mistake, I think, that uh, that was just crazy Loudoun County. They've been doing a lot of funny stuff. It's not going to happen in my backyard. But the real message of what happened in Loudoun County is it could really happen 
in any community, any school board, any school, any teacher, isn't that really the, the trend lines that we're seeing? Uh, absolutely. And, and it's not, it's really not necessarily that there are activists on every school board. It is that there are activist organizations that have billions of dollars and that they are giving these policies to every school board across the country. They are, they have, they have funded the policies and they're coming in and they're saying, you need to adopt these policies on equity and diversity and inclusion, um, which are, you know, pushing these divisive, um, you know, and um, wrong ideologies, and they're doing it with gender identification as well. And so, um, yes, it can happen. Even if you have a conservative school board, it can happen because they are seeing it throughout the country, and they're saying, "Oh, this is a trend. We got to, you know, address this." Right. Um, and and the only way it's going to stop is if parents get engaged and they say, "This is not what we want. We want a good, solid civics education that benefits everybody, and that does not focus on a divisive ideologies and and ideologies which require the school board to punish its teachers if they speak out against it." Uh, I mean, I think that should be a good sign. If if you if you require to get your policy through, you have to punish your teacher and say you're going to fire them because they spoke out against it. You're probably pushing the wrong policy. Yeah, no, I think most common sense Americans would agree with that. Um, I want to ask about some comments that uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr made recently because he he put out a, uh, a novel legal theory that he thought might one day end up in the courts. And that is that these activist groups that you mentioned that are funding and, and influencing school boards and education and curriculum are really trying to fund a secular view of the world that is basically the equivalent of a religion. Secular religion is what he called it. And he suggested that that might violate the Establishment Clause and give rise for some parents or some students to challenge this entire movement on the grounds that it's an infringement of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution because government can never uh, advocate or enforce one religion over another. What I don't know if you had a chance to look at Bill Barr's speech or hear it, but is there in the offing somewhere, maybe a bigger constitutional case that, that could come out of all of this movement and all of this conflict and all of these uh, threatened terminations and behaviors and cancel culture that are happening in the academic world right now? Well, I have seen uh, his speech and I've seen others that have um, made the same argument. I, I have not dug in it enough, John, to really give an informed opinion. Um, obviously, the you know the the Constitution does prohibit the you know the state establishment of any kind of religion, and right. there are uh, there are definitely aspects of um, critical race theory and gender identity ideology that have similarities to religious beliefs, and they have been referred to by various people, and they make the argument that of, of that, but I, I don't, I can't comment on that. But what I can comment on is that, you know, they're, the, the, the fact that um, they are demanding that everybody adopt these beliefs, and if you don't, you are either canceled or fired or whatever. That's un-American, and I can tell you that that is a violation of the First Amendment because they're not just saying, hey, this is what we want to say. They're saying, you must say this. That's the violation. Yeah. The violation, they're compelling speech. They were trying to tell Tanner through this policy, hey, you must say this, and all he said was, please don't make me say that. I love all my students. 
I will treat all my students with dignity and respect. I've been a great teacher. I can continue to be a great teacher. Just don't make me say something that I don't believe is true. And they punished him for that. And that's something that I think we can all get behind. And that's something that we do know is a violation and shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, very important. If you're a teacher, you're a student, you're uh, uh, a student organizer on the campus, and you're running into conflict or uh, 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 suppression of your rights, whether they're faith or free speech or whatever, right of assembly, whatever it is, how do folks get in touch with the Alliance Defending Freedom? How do they engage and try to get help uh, on the front lines of whatever crisis they find themselves in? Yeah, you can go to adflegal.org adflegal.org. There's a request for legal assistance right there. Just fill out the form. We'll be in touch with you. Um, uh, you know, this is what we do. We, we do it all for free. It's pro bono. We won't charge you a dime. We're just here to stand up for your rights and to ensure that every American, you know, has the right to live according to the, to the dictates of their conscience. Yeah, that's so important. It's really the DNA of America. And, uh, we're, we're so grateful, uh, Tyson, that you could come on and make sense of all this for us. And uh, we're going to be watching not only the Loudon case, uh, but all the other great work you guys are doing. This is one of the really momentous moments in American history where how we come out of this, which way we go, is probably going to define an entire generation of the American experience. Really, really remarkable to have you on the front lines informing us. And uh, we're really grateful for that. Well, thanks for having me on, John. Really appreciate it. A real pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got more to this show. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest I'm really proud to have back on the show today, Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer from the great state of Missouri, the ranking member of the Small Business Committee in the House, and a really sound voice on financial issues. And what better day to have the congressman on than a day when inflation prices were reported to be at the highest uh, pace since 1992. Congressman, welcome to the show. John, great to be with you this morning. And uh, we we Interesting times we're living in it. It sure is. You have been, for the longest time, a voice of fiscal sanity. You've always been a person on top of that's why you, you're on the Small Business Committee. You've been worried about inflation for a long time. And this morning we saw 5% in May. The inflation is accelerating like we haven't seen in about 30 years. What, could, what are you concerned about? What do you see coming on the horizon for America? Well, I'm very concerned, John. I think... You know, you just you just start with energy, which is it underpins so many things in our economy. Uh, from the standpoint that we we were energy independent, now we're starting to pump in. I think of over a million gallons a day, which is not a lot, but it's going up every single day. Which and it's increasing prices, which means there's a ripple effect through every single thing that we do. Imagine when you produce a a, a good, you 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 haul the the raw materials to the factory. You produce it, then you haul it back out to the distribution center, then you haul it from distribution center to the to the end point of sale. Uh, and all along this line, there's an increase in price that all has to go 
on the on the sale price at the very end of all of this as well. Then you have you know the the threat of higher taxes, high, uh, you know higher more regulation. Um, you know you have this three hundred dollar check that still is stymieing a lot of employment out here. I was on a radio show this morning and we were talking about this, and I said, look, you have supply lines. The supply chain is broken right now in many respects because right. of the lack of employees to be able to produce the products, the goods and the goods and services. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you story after story, but I'm sure you've got plenty of them too, where the employees are just not there to produce the goods and provide the services. And um, as a result, there's dislocations within the system, and those dislocations cause increases in prices as well. So there's a number of factors here that are causing this, and you see the end result of higher prices for homes, higher prices for cars, higher prices for just gasoline at the pump, higher prices for your food that you go purchase. Yeah. Everything is going up as a result of a lot of these things, and it's and it's this number this morning is staggering: five percent increase in consumer price index year over year on May. This is unbelievable, and it's unsustainable, quite frankly, as well. It is, and and you've been warning about this. I, I want to uh, focus on one piece of this because the normal monetary policy when inflation starts to spike at this rapid rate is to go and raise interest rates which would have two effects, right? It could slow some of the economic activity, such as housing and, and the ability to borrow, but it has a severe consequence to the cost to the treasury because all of a sudden, all that debt we rolled up, as we're steaming towards $30 trillion in debt, the, the price of that debt goes up overnight. Uh, are we heading into sort of a dual crisis, which is we're going to have inflation and the tool to fix it is going to be pretty painful to the American people as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Fed is going to have some really, really tough decisions to make here. You know, we I sit on financial services. I'm the chair of the ranking member of the subcommittee on on financial institutions, which I, the regulators are also who we oversee. And so we have regular conversations with the Fed and Treasury and, S, and the FDIC folks. And so we're, we're discussing this problem with them all the time. And they're pretty reluctant right now to raise rates because of just what you said, John. Uh, if you raise rates, you raise rates on all of the debt that we've incurred, as well as the, what we've had previously, and it's going to be it'll, grow, it'll, it'll blow an even bigger hole in our budget. Um, so, I think they're reluctant to do that. However, they may be forced to. And you know, if, as you as you see around the world, for instance, the Chinese are out there um, with with a lot of investing going into their country. If, if if for instance, if it's more attractive for other countries, other big corporate entities to invest their money in China versus our uh, and, and, and the corporate debt of, of, of uh, and government debt of China versus ours because it's a higher rate of return. Right. Um, there's a point at which the difference between the rate they can get in China and the rate we can get here is going to force us to increase rates. It will force us or we will be left behind uh, with you know, nobody wanting to invest in our treasury bills and our, and our bonds. So the, the Fed is in a, in a box here from the standpoint of how do you um, get yourself in a position where you are competitive in the world investment fund market, yet don't blow a hole in our budget here and don't, you know, uh, cause or exacerbate the, the inflation problem that we have. If this Biden administration is a bunch of, you know, high school people who don't have a clue on how to understand, how to manage the economy, how to manage money, how to manage this coming out of this recovery. I mean, this this group in charge right now has, has created a crisis. And is exacerbating it by their actions. They're stagnating the economy. Uh, they're stalling our recovery. And we're, <laughs> I don't see anything getting better with this group in charge because they don't understand that you have to empower people, not government, to solve these problems. 
Yeah, that's always been, that was what the founding fathers intended right from the start. Now, you, you've pointed out something that I think is really important in the, um, the jobs report, and that is we have 9.3 million jobs in April that could not be filled. Ten, almost 10 million jobs are moving towards that can't be filled. Describe why that's a crisis for business, for the economy, and also why the Biden administration seems to have a policy that is growing that number, not shrinking that number. Well, let's start first by saying, hey, look, this, this, is, this is an indication that the entrepreneurs of this country, the businesses of this country, can create jobs. Yeah. They're out there doing their job. They're creating jobs and, and providing opportunities for people to be employed. The problem is there's such a disincentive right now for people to go to work. Forty percent of the people can make more money staying home than they can going to work because of the $300 check and the stimulus checks. Unbelievable. There's a number that's staggering. I, I saw this, week, this last week, $109,000 is what a family of four with a husband and wife, both employed and working, or previously working, can make by staying home and all the government programs that they could qualify for. $109,000 that they could get this year. Wow. Unbelievable. So this is a staggering situation to, to then ask your, those folks to go to work and take a pay cut. And as a result, <laughs> you've got these businesses out there that, you know, you have restaurants that are closing two days a week because yep. they don't have enough employees to be able to work seven days a week. Unbelievable. Um, I, I mean, I can give you example after example. I'll give you one more quick one. Then we'll like, I'll let you move on here. But I had a contractor call me the other night. He said, Blaine, I'm not complaining, but I just want to tell you a story. Yesterday, the stimulus checks came out and this morning, 25% of my people didn't show up for work. A quarter of the so, workforce? A quarter of the workforce did not show up. Oh, my gosh. They got a stimulus check the day before, and they have money at home now that they can set on and play with. Mm. I mean, John, you and I would go to work, and we take that money, we put it in a savings account. That's we'd, right. We'd be able to go do something, pay some bills down, or, or take care of other problems. These people, 25% of them chose to stay home and not go to work. And that is a huge problem. That's just a, that's just a, a, a tip of the iceberg of how this is all playing out. These programs have real consequences, and the, and the, the Democrats do not understand that these programs and the consequences of them are something they have to deal with. And they're causing this problem themselves. This is not something that is, is just out of the, you know, pulling, just falling out of the sky. They are causing this by the very problem, the programs that they're putting out there. And then if you go ahead with their tax plan, this is going to exacerbate the situation. It's going to decimate, especially small businesses. And it's going to be a disaster. Our economy will go into a free fall. Yeah, that is the worry of a lot of people. We've had Steve Moore on the show, a lot of the smart economists. Uh, even you see Larry Summers, uh, Clinton, uh, former Clinton economist and Treasury Secretary, warning that the path that the Biden administration is taking is headed towards disaster. There seems to be bipartisan concern. You talked about the rookie sort of feeling of this administration. Obviously, Joe Biden's not a rookie. He's been in government for 46, 47, 48 years. But um, Kamala Harris had this trip and it really backfired on the world stage. I wonder if you just had a few seconds, uh, if you had any thoughts about how Kamala Harris's first trip overseas and the, the sort of weirdness of the world almost looking down on the trip and not being satisfied with her answers on the border. Do you think that harms our standing in, in the world community? Oh, absolutely. It harms our standing. And I think it showed the weakness of our leadership team uh, with, with Harris and Biden. I mean, she's sitting there like a like a teenager, sort of laughing and chuckling and trying to try to hope that you don't ask me a really tough question and hope you think my smile and my little little giggle here is going to get me off the hook. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa! You are you are the vice president of the United States, the largest and most dynamic economy and country in the world, and you can't answer a simple question with a with a with a factual answer. Instead, you have to giggle your way through the interview. Yeah. 
wow, that shows extreme lack of maturity, number one, and extreme lack of leadership ability, number two. And if that's what we have leading our country and, and, and the team that they have in the White House, holy smokes, John. If you're, if you're all the rest of the countries of the world watching this, what do you think their impression would be? Yeah, that can't be positive. Uh, listen, They've got to look at us and say, well, you've got a bunch of clowns in charge of your country right now, and you guys are going to, you know, going to suffer for it. Even the Democratic establishment media today are down on Kamala Harris. It was a pretty tough trip and, and not good for America. We need strong leadership and we need our allies to look up at us, not look down at us at this moment. You have one of the most important jobs in Congress being on the small business community. I, I love the small business community. I, I, we do lots of things here and we, uh, we're always studying because they are the true engine of America. Main Street America is the true engine of the economy. Uh, as you look out, uh, there's one prescription that the Biden administration, the Democrats have. Let's just keep putting cash on there. Obviously, that's keeping small businesses from getting employees. What does the small business um, uh, community need right now from government, from Congress to take advantage of all their entrepreneurialism? Because they're, they're back from COVID. They're working hard. What do they need to get on their feet? Oh, you're exactly right, John. They are back on their feet. They're ready to go to work. They're willing to take the risk of, of, of putting their money on the line and and go to work every day and do this. And they need less in government rules and regulations to deal with. Turn them loose. Don't threaten them with higher taxes. Don't threaten them with more regulation. And help allow them to hire people back. Stop disincenting people from working and incent people to go to work. Right now, we're incentivizing people to stay home. Yeah. And it's killing the small it's businesses, amazing. especially the ones who are the job creators. This is nuts what's going on. But yeah. I think, you know, the small businesses are, are really – and it's really it's inspirational to see how they are uh, trying to figure out how to do this. You see everything from giving bonuses to come into work, bonuses to just even apply for work. They're cutting back on hours to make sure they've got enough people to to, to work the, the the shifts that they do have. Right. Um, you know, even McDonald's. I saw something yesterday, John, where McDonald's is saying, "Look, at the fifteen dollars an hour, we're going to look at automation to solve our problem because we can't hire enough people at fifteen dollars an hour to do the work. So we're going to have to look at automation." And wow. this is where you know we're we're, push, we're pushing the businesses to look other places if we keep doing this, and then we're setting ourselves up uh, if those people can't produce enough work to pay for themselves in their in the jobs that they have, what happens? You you don't get hired. So now we wind up with a whole bunch of people out here who are on the lower end of the payment scale, but the government's going to have to continue to pay forever yeah. because we we've lost the jobs that were on the lower end to due to automation so that they can actually find work. This is, this is what the government and, and the administration doesn't understand is they're exacerbating the situation with all of the programs that they've got and all of the actions, whether it's taxes and regulation, pushing for higher for minimum wages. You know, and we haven't even talked about um, workman's comp problems, uh, unemployment insurance problems that are, that are there for the small businesses right now. These are huge. Stop and talk to a small business and ask them, what has your unemployment insurance rate done lately? You know, all the states have, have their coffers are empty as yep. a result of. So they got to raise taxes. Insurance, yep. So they got to raise taxes. That's another. That's another hidden tax. Small business. It sure tax. is. So ask ask them about workman's comp as a result of COVID. Workman's comp rates have gone through the roof as well on on certain industries. Um, so these are higher. These are higher costs that all your small businesses are incurring, depending on what industry they're in, and and nobody talks about those, uh, and and. It's like you guys not understand how to actually run a business. 
And the answer to that is, unfortunately, yes. They yeah. do not understand how to run a business, and yet they are trying to run our country. They're all career politicians. They never, they never had to work in the real world. That's that's the problem. It's you know, so Donald, remarkable. Donald Trump, Donald Trump gave us the template on how to run the economy. Right. You, you lower taxes, you lower regulations, you empower people, and you empower the businesses. And look what we had: a runaway economy, and we had people. The wages across the board on every demographic group were increasing. We had uh, record revenues coming into the to the um, to the country, and if Biden gets his tax plan, I've seen some think tank numbers that said if they get the tax plan that they want, you're actually going to see a decrease in revenue, even though they raise taxes. Isn't that amazing? Raising taxes is a disincentive for people yeah. to work. It's a disincentive for investment, and it backfires. Just just look at the New York situation or anywhere where you have you know cities that uh, they start to charge for. Uh, plastic bottles or, right. or you know, glass bottle or something, or for cigarettes, you raise the tax on it, what do you get? You get less revenue because people find someplace else. There you go. Well, look at all the people that left California in the last year to go to better tax states. Uh, $8 billion of income walked out of the state of California last year. It's unbelievable. But people do vote with their feet. If if you tax them too much, they're going to move to a better place. Well, and we saw that the money was was coming back to the United States as a result of our tax policies that have been leaving for all this time. That's right. It's going to turn around and go back the other way yeah. again if we get if, if Biden does this. And it's it's a real red herring whenever he says, "Well, we're not going to raise taxes on the people less than four hundred thousand dollars." John, remember the tax plan that that the president uh, that President Trump had uh, that Biden wants to to rescind had in there tax credits for child care for, for low and moderate income folks. It also had a doubling of the, of the dependent deduction. Those are deductions and, and, and tax credits that people under $400,000 will take advantage of that are going to go away. You've just raised taxes on those folks. You know, the Biden, when he says the 400000 that's like a shiny object he wants you to watch, while over here on the other side, he's taking all the money away from you on these other little programs. If he rescinds the tax cuts of Trump, uh, in the 2017 package, it raises taxes on every single person, and it's going to hammer low and middle income folks as well as the middle the middle income folks who this that, that tax plan was designed for. Yeah, and they're already dealing with inflation. And now, if you if you tax companies more, here's the here's the newsflash: they're going to pass it on to the consumers. They don't just take it in the wallet; they pass it on to consumers. So we're going to give them the inflation tax followed by a tax increase that's going to count them out of every every middle American's pocket. It's remarkable. Sir, we're so grateful. I know how busy you are in a busy week. We're so grateful for the time you had and for all the wisdom you shared today. And I can't wait to get you back. And I, I love this conversation about small business. So from time to time, I hope we can get you back on the show to talk about what's happening on Main Street America, because it's the most exciting place in the country. Love to do that, John. Thank you so much for having us this morning. and look forward to our next uh, time together. Uh, you as well, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Take care. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you joined me. I'm going to tease you a little bit. I think in the next 24 hours, it's possible. We're going to have another Hunter Biden important story. Uh, You're going to 
check it out in the morning. Check us out. I think we're going to have a big story, an important story, one that will weigh in on all uh, important issues. And I think the question you can ask yourself tonight when you go to bed that hopefully tomorrow when you wake up, we will answer for you is, was there ever a moment where Hunter Biden's lawyers, accountants, associates thought maybe what he had done in Ukraine, maybe what he was doing in these foreign business deal, maybe his association with people like Chinese uh, Communist Party officials and their businesses, um, a Ukrainian oligarch who's um, oil and gas company was condemned corrupt by his father's administration, other things like that. Did they ever think that maybe he had some legal liability that maybe one day the FBI, the IRS, someone might come knocking on the door, raising questions? Ask yourself that question and I'll give you hopefully the answer tomorrow with contemporaneous, contemporaneous emails of Hunter Biden with his colleagues uh, talking about these very issues. We now know he's under investigation by the FBI. Hunter Biden acknowledged that. We've been told that investigation began in 2018. In 2019, that investigation got the benefit of the laptop we're talking about, where those emails I wrote about this morning and the ones I'm going to write about tomorrow. I'm going to tell you what Hunter Biden's own inner circle was thinking about his potential legal exposure. Hopefully, when you wake up tomorrow morning, that's worth tuning into Just the News tomorrow. And if we do indeed break that story tomorrow, I promise you, we'll be on this podcast talking about it. All right, folks, that wraps it up for today. God bless you. God bless this incredible country, the United States of America. We'll be back at you soon.